woke me up to tell me to share a little bit of my testimony today. And, I, and, and that's a little awkward for me because some of you guys have heard my testimony. And I thought, well, I don't want to share that because I like to share something new, you know. And God said, don't worry about that. Share your testimony today. And, um, and so I, before, I, before church began, I was out in the lobby. I was talking to Terry Bates, who I've known for years, years, more than a decade now. And I mentioned a little bit of my story to Terry, and Terry said, I didn't know that. I was like, okay, well, maybe I can share it. Nobody will remember it, all right? It was that memorable before. But anyway, I want to share a little bit of my story with you this morning. I almost didn't preach after I heard Bebopalooya, you know? I mean, it's like that preaches for itself, but, but why, not, why not share with you a little bit of my story? And so what I want to talk with you about today, and the reason I ask you to take out that message outline is because I say it all the time, and I really mean it, though. On the very back of that outline, there's a little bit of space. And that little bit of space, maybe God would say something to you, and maybe he would whisper something to you that's got nothing to do with all the black on that outline, but it has to do with the empty space, and that you might want to write that down, because it might be worth remembering, it might be worth praying over. Today I want to talk to you about the call of God. I want to talk to you about God's call in our lives. Now, um, here's what I believe. I believe that all of us are called. If you've received Jesus Christ into your life, he has called you to be a disciple. He's called you to be an ambassador for him. He's called you to minister after his example. Now, my story is that I became a Christ follower at a very young age, 11 years of age. I was in my student ministry, and I gave my life to Christ in that student ministry. That's why I think it is so very important, those of you who have parents of teenagers, middle schoolers, and high, school, high schoolers, that you get them involved in student ministry. Because it, getting them in a, in a children's ministry and a student ministry, did you know that 80% of people who become Christ followers do so in those early ages of their, ministry, of, their, of their life, either when they're children or when they're youth? Well, that happened for me. When I was 11 years of age, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and, and then at 13 years of age, on the very same beach on a retreat with my, my youth group, I um, experienced a call to ministry. I went off by myself. Uh, our youth pastor uh, invited us, everybody to go off by themselves and just try to, try to hear from God. And I got on my knees. Uh, I, instead of going towards the ocean, I went up into the dunes. And I got on my knees, and I felt like God spoke to me and said, that he was calling me to be in vocational ministry. Now, that's not the way he said it to me. At that time, I probably didn't know the definition of the word vocational, okay? The way he said it to me was, he was calling to me. He was calling me to work for him the rest of my life. And that I would never get a paycheck from a regular place. I would always get a paycheck from doing his ministry. Well, for me, I didn't know what that meant. At that time, I thought that meant that I would probably be that guy, you know, a guy on the Christian radio because I was a singer, you know, and I thought, well, I'll give my life to you, Lord, and whatever you want me to do. And I was trying to answer a call. And today, so I want to talk to you about calling. And some of you guys, um, most of you guys are not going to be vocationally called, okay? You're not called that way. Most of us are not. But there are some of us who are called to be vocational pastors, and so today as I'm talking, I want to talk about that calling on two different levels. Now, there are some people here at our church who've gone on to vocational ministry. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had Keith Harris. Y'all remember Keith Harris came? Keith Harris used to be a, a worship guy up on the platform playing guitar. 
and God called him to ministry. And most recently, how about this? I'm just going to get you to celebrate with Keith for a minute. Most recently, Keith got a phone call. And you know, we're, we're doing a lot of pastoral transition stuff right now. Keith is moving from a part-time ministry. He's been so fruitful in that ministry, they've invited him to full-time ministry. He's going to be a full-time pastor now, and he's going to go back to Emory and get his ordination completely finished. Isn't that exciting? And he started right here, you know. He experienced the call of God here to go into ministry. Sherry Studdard, who, who, is, who is a part of planting the core team to help plant this church, Sherry Studdard felt a call to ministry, and Sherry is overseeing two different uh, churches as a pastor right now. So some people are called vocationally, and some people are not called vocationally. They're called to minister just as disciples wherever they are. I want to talk to you about your calling. First Peter chapter 2 says this, For we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, who have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, most people are kind of un, uh, unfamiliar and maybe even uncomfortable with that term that you are a royal priesthood. You might not even see yourself, Evelyn, as a priest, okay? But according to the Bible, as Protestants, we believe in a priesthood of all believers. That means together we are priests. We're priests in our neighborhood. We're priests at, you know, at Delta and at the cabinet shop and at the mortgage brokerage. We're priests wherever we go. And we're called to take the light of Christ into that place. Well, for me, vocational calling happened when I was 13. Um, anybody here 13 years of age? I just, I just wonder. Anybody here 13? No, no, not you, Lucas. We got a 13-year-old. Stand up for me. Who's that back there? Yeah, there she is. Kayla's 13 years of age. Stay, one more time. I was your age when I felt like God called me and said that I was going to be fully running towards ministry for Him. I had no idea, Kayla, what that would look like. No idea. 13, that's mighty young, you know. So I went to my pastor, and I told him what I felt like God had said to me on the beach. And I said, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And he looked at me, and he, was, uh, he, was, he, he had the wisdom of a sage, and he said, well, you need to do something to answer the call. He said, why don't you consider giving your summer away in ministry to the Lord? I said, what would that look like? And he said, well, my son just got back from a summer over in France. He said, why don't you consider maybe going to France or going to Africa and give your summer away? And so I said, okay, well, if you give me the information, I'll do a little bit of research on it. And I did it, and I came back and fast forward a little bit. Uh, I found myself standing in front of my church telling my church in Augusta, Georgia, my home church, that I felt like God was calling me to ministry and that I was going to go to France for the summer. And would they support me? And I have a wonderful home church that sent me forward in ministry, and they wrote checks, and they, they gave to me. It was really a first outpouring of grace to support me in ministry. I felt so supported in ministry. And so I told my mom and dad, who were not really keen on the idea, that I was just going to go to France, you know, at 14, 15 years of age, I would actually have my birthday uh, while we were over in France. I was 14 and 15 years of age. I was going to go spend my summer in France. And so they supported me. And, um, and so I was off. And uh, so I went to Bethany, Missouri to do a little prep to go in summer missions. They, they, they have to teach you some skills. You know, teenagers don't know a lot of skills really, right? They had to teach us how to dig a ditch and how to mix concrete. And they had to teach us how to pour, you know, lay bricks and all this kind of stuff because we were going to go do a work. And so uh, I was in Bethany, Missouri for two weeks training, and then all of a sudden we caught a plane, and I was off, in, uh, off to a foreign country at 14 years of age, okay? 14 years of age. 
While I was in France, when we landed, we went to a little town uh, that's just south of Nice, France, called Entre-Pierre. It means in between Peter, in between two rocks, okay? I didn't know it, but we were going to be in between two huge mountains, two big rocks, right? We were in between two big mountains in the French Alps, and there was this little missionary compound right there in Entre-Pierre where my team was going, and we were going to be working all during the summer. And it was my first taste of what it looked like to be in ministry at 14 years of age. And so here's how that looked. Every day in the summertime, we had to get up early, and we had to get our Bible, and we had to go out from wherever we were, from where we were sleeping, and we had to go out and find a place out in nature. And we had to spend the first hour of our day with God. And I'll never forget what that looked like because I had never done that before. I had never gotten my Bible and went and tried to spend time with God all by myself. I remember uh, getting my Bible that very first day as a 14-year-old, going outside of the little place where we were going to live, being in such a foreign place, you know. And I climbed up halfway up the mountain. I sat down. I put my Bible in my lap. And I thought to myself, I have no idea where to begin. I don't even know what to read in this book. And all of a sudden, this thought came to me of this guy that I'd heard of in the Bible named Samson. Now, he was a man's man, right? And, and, and I thought, why not look up the Hulk? I mean, let's find Samson in this book, right? And so I, I figured out where Samson was, and I started reading the story that day, and I read the story about Samson. It was the very first time I had ever experienced what I call a talk, a time alone with God. And can I tell you something cool? Every day of that summer... That's how I began my day. Every day, all these youth missionaries going off to start our day that way. It was one of the first things I learned in ministry was that I had to spend time with God in order to do God's work, right? Now, after we spent our hour with God, we had to go get on the job site. And we were building a three-story structure. Teenagers, by the way. Teenagers building a three-story structure to house homeless people from the neighboring town. And so I had different jobs. My job was mainly mixing concrete, all right? I mix concrete with a shovel day in and day out. I can mix some concrete. You ever need me to mix concrete? I can do it. I did it a whole summer, all right? And so I was mixing concrete. Other people were, were laying bricks. Other people were doing different things. And, and we were all together on a job site building for God. And um, by the way, you had to memorize Scripture. If you didn't memorize Scripture, Romans 12 and Romans 13, a verse every day throughout the summer, you didn't get to eat at night, okay? Did you just hear what I said? They said if you don't memorize a verse a day and then remember them cumulatively all the way through so that when you come to the dinner table to get in the kitchen and to get through the door, if you don't know your Scripture for the day and then cannot repeat any other Scripture, you don't eat. And I thought, what kind of cult have I joined? I mean, this is crazy. Are you serious? You're going to work me all day long, and if I can't remember a scripture, I can't eat? But you know what? Here's the cool thing. We found ourselves a bunch of teenagers, some of us older teenagers, on a, on a, on a mission site, building a three-story structure for the homeless, and all day long, we were quoting scripture, helping against, because we wanted to eat. I mean, we were, okay, memorizing the verses. Can I just tell you, to this day, Two of my most favorite chapters in the whole Bible, Romans 12 and 13. I don't know who picked those chapters for us as really kids to study, 
but I can tell you that I remember every one of them. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. I could go through the whole chapters because I, because I remembered. And by the way, here's the cool thing. There were some of us who, <laughs> some of us who probably did a little better in school than others, okay? And it was a little easier for some of us to memorize than others, but we helped one another. And here's the cool thing. Nobody went without food. Nobody. Everybody helped each other along. And it was my first time that I ever learned how to memorize Scripture. I'm so glad I learned that at such a young age. Well, we were building this structure on the, on the weekdays. And then during the weekends, we would go into town, and we would try to just enjoy the French life, eat the French food, but we would also try to share it with people while we were in the country. We would tell them about why God had called us in ministry, and we would tell them about the little missionary post where we were doing this for Jesus. It wasn't eloquent. It was just us trying to be salt and light in a place, in a very foreign place that we didn't know, trying to be Jesus's priests, his ministers, wherever we went. And so that's what the weekend looked like. And then the weekday was a lot of work, okay? It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't glorious, but God was doing a deep work in us, more so in us than even what we would foresee that he would be able to do through us and beyond us. Well, the summer went fast, and I could spend a lot of time talking to you about it, but by the time we started getting that structure about finished and had become a family and God was moving deeply in our hearts and I had learned how to study the Bible. If you do that for an hour every day, you're going to learn how to study the Bible after about, you know, 60 days. And it was almost time to go home. And I was going home a very different person. I was so glad that, that I had not only now heard the call of God, but I was starting to step into trying to answer the call of God on my life. And the day before we went home, day before, there's 24 of us, the day before we went home, um, there were some older ones of us. There was a, you know, an 18, 19, 21, 23-year-olds. that We, we kind of considered them the leaders of the group. They invited me to go up with them to do what they called sand sliding. Now, I'd never heard of this, and somehow it had missed me. Maybe I was too young. They, haven't, they hadn't invited me on some of their little outings. But it was the day before we were going to go back home, and they said, why don't you come? What we do is we go up the mountain, and then on the other side of the mountain, we do this thing we call sand sliding. And you can slide down the whole mountain, and, and you just jump and slide all the way down the mountain. There's a cool cave at the top. What we do is we actually climb up the mountain. We go worship in the cave a little while, and then we just sing, and, 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 and then we're going to go down. And I thought, this is cool. This is the last thing I'm going to do in France. This is the day before we go home. I'm in. You know, count me in. And so I went with about, uh, there's about 15 of us that were going up the mountain. And I said, what do I wear? They said, just wear your regular jeans, your work boots. It, it just come like you dress, you know, like every day. And so, you know, when it was time to go, I got my work boots on, got my jeans on, and had a short sleeve shirt on, and we headed up the mountain. And it was, it was pretty neat. It was a mountain where I knew very well. I had sat on that mountain to study God's Word many times. But when we got to the top, I'd never been on the other side of the mountain. Sure enough, there was a cave up there, and I brought my camera. So I had my camera, you know, stuffed down in my shirt, so that when I, and I got up there and I took pictures of the cave. We worshipped, we sang together. We were top of, the, top of this mountain overlooking so much, so much of God's planet and his earth, those French Alps that were all around us. And then it, when it was time to go, they said, now's the fun part. Now we're going to do the sand sliding. Now, I didn't see any sand anywhere, and that, was, that should have been my first problem that I didn't realize. I looked out of the front of the cave, and there, the front of the cave, there was a winding path. You could stand at the very top of the mountain and look all the way down the mountain, and it kind of looked like a ski slope that went all the way down the mountain, but it wasn't sand. It was rocks. It was little small rocks, you know. 
And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, here's the deal. We get in the back of the cave, we run out, we jump. And when you jump because the mountain's so steep, you'll just go 20, 20, you know, 25 feet until you land. And when you land, the rocks will roll. It feels like sand. It doesn't even feel like rocks. The rocks are just rolling down the hill. And then what you do is you just get back to your, get back to your you know, squat, squatting position. And then you jump again. And you can just jump and jump and jump and go all the way down the mountain. I thought, okay, that's sure. Yeah. So I stood in the very, the very front of the mountain, the front, front of the cave, and, and one of the oldest guys, who's 23 years old, his name was Marty from Canada. Marty got in the back of that cave, and he ran forward, and he took off, and he, he it was clear this guy had done this before. He jumped and just went so far, and he landed. And, he, and sure enough, he rolled. He was just sliding down. He was sliding. And all of a sudden, he kind of got to his feet while he was still rolling. He jumped again. And then he jumped again. After about three jumps, next person took off from the back of the cave. And they took off. And I sat there, and I watched these guys kind of skiing down this mountain. But it was just on, on rocks, little, little pebbles that we were rolling. And they were just having a blast. And they put about three or four jumps in between each one. And I waited till almost the very end. There's only one guy left in the very back of the cave. And he was a 24-year-old. And, um, and it was my time. And so I got in the back of the cave. And I don't do anything small, right? You know, go big or go home. And so I took off. And I jumped. And it was, it was quite the ride. It's pretty awesome. Matter of fact, I've asked my wife, can we please go back to Entree Pierre's? And she thinks I'm crazy because of what I'm about to tell you, but I want to go back sand sliding just to, just to, just to remind. Because at 14 years of age, you can only remember so much. I want to go, go relive it. There's a guy in front of me. Uh, he was the only guy from Georgia. His name was Steve. Interest. I was Stephen, and he was Steve. And he was from Atlanta. And he had jumped, and he had jumped, and he had jumped, and now I was flying behind him. And I jumped, and I got to my feet, and I jumped, and I got to my feet, and I jumped, and I was just going down the mountain. It was, in, it was incredible. It was a lot of fun. At one moment, just a few short jumps after I had began, I looked, and Steve, when he jumped in front of me, Steve actually jumped, and somehow or the other, he got his momentum going. He did a complete flip, head over heels, and when he landed, he landed back on his bottom, but he was backwards going up the mountain. And I could see him down there because I was doing my thing, you know, and he's ahead of me. He's a good bit ahead of me, three different jumps ahead of me. And I remember jumping, you know. Now I was only going to be two jumps ahead of I mean, he was only going to be two jumps ahead of me, thinking that he'd be okay. But what happened was Steve actually going backwards kind of got disoriented and he's sliding. And so Steve, what he did was he began to to turn, turn himself around with his hands while he's sliding down the mountain. And by the time he can get himself focused back straight again, he's slowing down, and I'm jumping in my second next jump. Now I'm only one jump to Steve. And uh, finally, Steve stands up because he's slowing down so much he needs to take a run and then take his jump again. And when he stands up, I need to make my third jump, which is now going to put us right on top of each other. And so instead of making a third jump, what I do is, instead of getting to my feet I'm, and, and, and jumping, what I do is I actually just get to my feet and I take off and I'm, I'm running. Now, as probably what's about a, about a freshman in high school, I had not taken physics class yet. <laughs> I did not know what it was like to run down a mountain, okay? 
And so if you try to run down a mountain, what you'll figure out real quickly, if the mountain's very steep, is that your upper body can go faster than your lower body can take you, okay? And so I found myself taking bigger and bigger strides, and all of a sudden, Steve is barely moving. And I, I, I run so fast, I'm so close, and he's not moving at all, that I've got two choices. I can either take Steve out, I mean, and when I take him out, I'm going to hit him. He ain't going to know I'm coming, and it's going to hurt both of us. Or I can jump to his side, try to miss him. And in the blink of an eye, i got to make a decision. And so I tried to miss him, and I jumped to my right. And I did not know that the path turned right there. And I did not know that there was a cliff there. And I jumped off a cliff. I don't remember what it looked like falling, but I fell about 50 feet. I remember um, hitting and feeling the pain of the hit. And they said that every time I hit, I hit five different times front and back. They said every time that I hit flat, which was amazing. It's just the grace of God because if I'd have hit with my head or my feet down, I would have broken. It would have been really bad. But I hit flat, and down on the, on the bottom where I jumped were big rocks. Flat, big rocks. And I hit just rock after rock after rock. And there was nobody down there. You're not supposed to be down there. I, I remember um, waking up and, uh, and trying to do a push-up. I was on my stomach. And I remember uh, when I did my push-up, I looked down and my arms were completely bloody. And I knew I'd hurt myself. I just didn't know how bad. And, and when, I, when I pushed myself up, I was looking at my arms and all of a sudden everything went black. And then blood began to pour off my nose onto the rocks. And I remember passing out. When the older people finally made their way down to me, they turned me over which was probably dangerous in and of itself. And I, had, I was very hurt. The camera inside my shirt had, had almost crushed a hole into my chest. And I was cut. And it had even taken pictures through the shirt as I hit every time. We have those pictures. I had cuts on every portion of my head. My arms were messed up. My legs were messed up. I couldn't walk. And so they... They began to wake me up. They began to take off their clothes. They started putting clothes around my head to stop the bleeding, around my arms to stop the bleeding. They were literally just taking off their clothes, putting it on me to try to stop the blood from different places around my body. And there was, it was just a bunch of younger people. There was no real adults there, you know. And they, they had the problem, how do we get him off the mountain? And so what they did was... Um, they created what they called a human wheelbarrow. One person sat down like this, and they, they laid me on top of them. And then they held their legs, and about three people would drag them down the mountain until they could no longer take it from the pain on their backside. They put a person next to them. They would move me over to that one, and then they'd do another human wheelbarrow. Took about three hours, they say. I don't hardly remember much of that. Took about three hours to, to try to get close to the bottom. 
I do remember two things happening during that. I can remember them like it was yesterday. One of the things that happened was when they were moving me from one person to another in the wheelbarrow switchover, they got me right between a person and a young girl up the way had fallen and started a rock slide and a big rock came down the thing and doesn't hit the guy on the left or the guy on the right. The rock hit me in the back of the head and, and was one of the biggest wounds I had on my head. I will remember that one. And the other thing was when they got me uh, uh, just inside of the road at the bottom, they, you could see the road. There was a French guy walking by. I think he was an angel. His name was Jacques. I'll never forget him. They yelled out to him. Somebody knew a little bit of French. He climbed up the mountain. He was a giant of a man. And he picked me up in his arms and he carried me down the mountain all by himself from there on out. He carried me back to the mission outpost all by himself. He was a giant of a man. The next day, my team was going home. But I was in the hospital. And they left me. I had to stay in France. They all went back to Bethany, Missouri to do a little debriefing, to all talk about how Jesus had met them on the mission field. And I was stuck in France. After two days in the hospital, they chartered a private plane to fly me home. I was on crutches. I had stitches everywhere, you can imagine. I had probably lost at least 10 points in my IQ, um, and I was headed home, but I was glad to be going home. But I need to tell you that my journey in France uh, ended with a very deep blank space for me. When you're sitting in a hospital in a foreign country and you can't understand a word that anybody else is saying, and you feel like God called you to give your summer away and you tried to be obedient to Him, when you've had a great summer and you've worshipped God and you've learned from God's Word and you memorized Scripture and when you've done all the right things and then all of a sudden, trying to have a good time right before you left the country, you're wondering how you're going to make it and why God did what He did and why would you let this happen to me, God? I can tell you that I was only 14, almost 15 years of age. But I had some big adult questions to talk with God about. I mean, why in the world would you call me to ministry and then bring me to France and kill me over here? Why would you do that? Why would you allow this to happen to me, God? You know, I had a lot of, a lot of questions and I didn't have a lot of answers. Because it seemed like the God who was so close to me on the mountain, so close to me while I was mixing concrete every day, it seemed like to me at that moment, He was so far away. It felt like, have you ever been in that moment where you were praying prayers and it felt like they were hitting a concrete ceiling just coming right back? Nobody was hearing them? That's where I was. I was so empty. I had been so full. But now I felt so very empty. I got off the plane, they put me on a bus, they drove me to Bethany, Missouri. I arrived and it was about 4 or 5 o'clock when I got there in the afternoon. And when I was getting off the bus with my crutches, I mean, can you, if you could only see the pictures, head wounds, bandaged, arms, I looked like a mummy. I looked like a complete mummy. 
And I'm getting off the bus, and the director of the entire program, who had sent, he had sent youth in missions to Africa, Australia, all around America, South America. He, he had sent, I think it was something like 20-something teams around the world. They were all meeting in what they called the tabernacle. There were like three or 400 teenagers in the tabernacle going to be meeting in about an hour. And he came, and he met me right there at the steps of the bus as I got off. And he said, I heard your story. I'm so sorry this happened to you but I'm sure God wants to use you tonight. I want you to speak to all of them and tell them what God has done in your life this summer. I remember looking at him and thinking to myself, I don't have anything to say. I, don't, I am so broken. I am so lost right now. I am so hurting in my soul. And you want me to speak? I'm, I'm the youngest of the crew. I'm going to go out there and speak and can't hardly stand up there. And, and by the way, you do know that I'm on drugs, right? I mean, I don't know what I might say. I got so much pain stuff in my body. That night I stood up in front of about 400 teenagers who'd been all over the world. And I promised to Jesus, I can't tell you a thing I said that night. I don't know if it was worthwhile or not. I told you I was on drugs. Um, but not only had I learned in that summer at France that God wanted me to get into His Word and I needed to learn how to get with Him before I got with other people. Not only had I learned the power of memorizing Scripture and how it can change your mind and your heart when you're thinking about Scripture and you're thinking about Jesus all during the workday. Not only had I learned the power of a family, a family who's ministering together, and not just Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, but Saturday and Sunday. Not only had I learned that powerful things happen when you retreat away, when you give your time away to God, when you try to answer His call, when you try to grow closer to Him in holiness. I think the final lesson for France was, now I'm going to call you to minister out of your emptiness. You see, whether you're called vocationally or whether you're called just to minister in your life, wherever you are, and that's all of us, by the way. I learned that there will be times when you minister out of overflow, you know. I mean, you just feel Jesus. You can smell Jesus and you hear, you hear his voice and you know his word. There are going to be times when you minister out of overflow. There's also going to be times where you minister out of what I call emptiness. And it just feels like he's so far away. Or even in that situation, I was ministering out of brokenness, literal brokenness of my body. You know, I made it home to Augusta, Georgia. My mom and dad couldn't believe what they saw when I got off the plane. I'll never forget that summer in ministry. But it was the start of a fantastic run with God. I felt like God was telling me to leave the message today to talk to you about this for a few reasons. The first reason is this. I wonder how many times we sit in church and we hear the call of God, we hear the whisper of God, we hear the, the nudge of God, and I wonder if there are some folks in this room, this very room right here, where you just need to hear somebody like myself stand up in front of you and say, 
Have you ever thought about vocational ministry? Have you ever thought about hanging up a regular paycheck and deciding that from here on out you might get a paycheck from doing God's work? What would that look like? As your pastor, I may have not challenged you enough to say that it doesn't just happen to 13-year-olds. It doesn't matter how old you are. But there may be somebody right here right now who's been called to vocational ministry. Yeah, how, how much more fitting than for Tammy Miller to stand right here and say, you know, I didn't always do children's ministry. I used to do hairdressing. And then I decided to serve in the nursery. And then I decided to serve here. And then look what God did. And now I'm paid to do the work of God. How cool is that? Don't you know that's an awesome blessing to Tammy? Don't you know that every day Tammy gets to work for Jesus, she's, she's doing things for heaven that can never be undone? And I just want to challenge you that might, there might be some of us here that you've been feeling the nudge of God for a long time. Maybe God brought this message today for nobody here but you. Won't you answer God's call? And here's another thing I wanted to share with you. Listen, there is no substitute for that time alone with God. And if you've gotten away from spending time alone from God, maybe you used to do it and you used to be on fire for the Lord, but now you don't do it anymore. Can I just challenge you as your pastor? Go back. You want to get your first love back again? Go back. Spend time with him at the start of every day. Get into your word. Get into your word and study Jesus and let him meet you. It won't be on a mountain in Entrepierre, France, but it can be in, your, in, in a closet in your house or in your own backyard or on your back porch with a cup of coffee. Go back and meet your first love. There's a lot I could share out of my France story, but I guess just one more. We have been called. If you are a Christ follower, this is all of us. We have been called to minister after the example of Christ. And here's just a truth that I learned as a 14-year-old kid who God was calling to full-time ministry. Every day ain't going to be sunshine and roses. Every day ain't going to be a day where you go and minister for Jesus and you just can feel him, see him, taste him, and you're on fire for Jesus. Here's what I do believe. I believe we are called to minister more out of our flow, overflow than ever out of our emptiness. So one of my jobs is to stay on overflow mode, okay? That's my job. But can I also tell you there will be days, I call it the wilderness, where it just feels like the voice of God is so far away and you feel like you're just dry. I bet everybody in this room knows what it's like to feel dry. And in those dry moments, you're still called to be a minister for Christ. Somebody here today is in one of those wilderness lands right now. Hey, listen, here's the good news of the gospel. The wilderness doesn't last forever. Your emptiness will be met with overflow at some point. You just keep ministering for Jesus. And you watch how he uses you, even in the brokenness, even in the emptiness. Well, that's my France story.
That was the beginning of a call of God in ministry, but I've done so many more things. been a youth pastor. I've been a worship leader. I've done missions in other places, and God even called me to be a part of planting this church. I'm so thankful for those burning bush moments all along the way. And you know what? I, I know the same thing is true for you. It might not look like my burning bush moments, but the same thing is true for you. So the call of God is on your life. What does that look like? Live into it. Lean into it, okay? That's the goal. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're called. Yeah, yeah, I've been called. Good, Coop. You're on our staff. I hope you're called. <laughs> we want you to be called. No, but, but I've been called. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. No, no, you understand. I've been called. Called to do what? I've been called to run you off the stage. <laughs> Ladies, you want to bring up our friends? So we know Stephen, you know, I, I collect things. And um, we have these tarantulas. And we wanted to, <laughs> no. well, no, we would like you to hold them. <laughs> no. And, and, uh, Steve, Steve, no, sir. Where, where you going, bro? No, no, I mean, no, no. You don't? No? No, no, no. No? Are no, you going to no, go no. by yourself then, or do we need to? I, I don't know. I can stay right here. No, I, if they'll I stay right over there. Here. Ladies, ladies. No, escort, no, 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 no. Escort him out if you would. Escort him out. There we go. You say All right, thank yes. you very much. Okay. I say no. You say On behalf of the uh, transition team, I got I to gotta tell y'all a couple things. Number one is God has an awesome sense of humor. Uh, all week long, we've been planning on how we were going to get Stephen out of the room. And, uh, you know, obviously we know Coop and uh, we know the, the toys that he likes to play with. But uh, so we'd had that plan and it was so funny because this morning when I came into the church, I was sitting down with Stephen and he said, man, he said, uh, because we knew his sermon notes, if y'all read them, what, we, what he was supposed to talk about today was six things wise people never do. And we thought, well, you know, bringing tarantulas up on the stage is probably one of those things. But uh, when Steve told me that he'd had this, he'd spoken to God, and God told him that he needed to share his testimony, and then he told me that, it, and I said, well, what, 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 what is it about? And he said, well, it was like a near-death experience. And I thought, well, you're fixing to have another one. <laughs> so uh, I just thought it was funny how God works. But uh, anyway, just to bring you guys up to date, um, each week we're going to take Stephen off stage in some way. And the reason we do that is because we don't want him in the room. We're planning his going away, and we want it to be a surprise. So anything that we talk about in here is just between us, okay? Uh, first off, last week I told y'all, there's some index cards in the, in the chairs in front of you. If anybody has got any kind of funny stories, anything they want to enlighten us about, um, we would love to know what those are. Uh, believe me, we've got a ton of them ourselves, but we want to hear about some of y'all's as well. Uh, and they're going to be used later on at the, uh, at the dinner that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Uh, number two, Shanda, you want to come up here? 
one of the other things that we're going to do is uh, Shanda's going to put together a scrapbook for Stephen. And uh, you want to tell them how, what they need to bring and how you need to... If you have letters, pictures, anything that's a memory that you had with him or anything that you want to share with him, you can bring it, give it to me. Um, we're also going to put together a team that can either get together at my house or here at the church, most likely at the church because it's a good location for everybody. Um, and we can have a couple of work nights and we can get everything put together um, to present to him that night. But I've been doing scrapbooking for, oh gosh, 20 something years. So yeah, I love it. Sorry when she was two. Yeah, I was, I was three actually. Thank you though, I appreciate that. Uh, but it, it's just a great way to preserve those memories and something that he can look back on for years um, with his experience here with uh, his Harvest Point family. Thank you, Shannon. Okay. So if you got any, any pictures, letters, anything you'd like to include, definitely get with Shanda on that. Um, another thing that we're going to do, we're going to put a video together for Stephen. Um, so Joyce, are you in here? Where are you? Come on up here, Joyce. Um, Joyce is going to head up our video, and, and we've got Chris Gray, who I'm, I'm sure all of y'all remember, um, is going to be putting the video together for us. And you want to you talk about... Yeah, if, uh, if you've been with the church for a long time, you have any videos or pictures of the old skits that we used to do, like with the yacht or with the farm or any of that, Francis, I'm thinking maybe you might be a good person. Maybe you have some things. Um, I want those pictures or video or any recollection you have. What, what we don't need, everybody takes pictures of their loved one being baptized. We have a lot of those, so <laughs> that, that's not what we're going for. We're going for, you know, this is your life, Stephen, at Harvest Point. We want to go back as far as we can, and I want some, some that are funny and then some that are serious, and we're going to have this professionally done. So just if you'll get your things to me, you can email to JoyceWhiteTwin at Gmail, or you can just bring them to me, or we can talk. But I need this by the first week of June because we have to have time to put it together. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Uh, last but not least, um, the event dinner. Does, has, did everybody get an invitation to the dinner? Did, seriously? Nobody got one. Okay. <laughs> like when I ask a question, you can go like this. Or, yeah. Okay. Anyway, we're going to have an event dinner. It's, it's uh, June 16th. Uh, you should have gotten an invitation. If by chance you didn't, we have some here that we can uh, hand deliver to you. Um, Donna, come on up here. Um, now, let me, let me give you a couple of heads up. There is limited seating at the dinner, so you have to have a ticket to get in. The, the dinner is going to be catered, so we're only going to have just enough food. And so uh, it's very important that you get your ticket. You want to tell them about the tickets? So you can... Get your tickets online. I think there's instructions on the, e or the email that you got. And right after the service, I'm going to be sitting out in the lobby. And I have about 50 tickets that I can sell today. So if you want to, you can come out there. You can write a check. You make it to Harvest Point, And on the uh, line, you put a special event or Stephen's dinner or something like that so that we know. But I'll be right out there. You can pay. The tickets are $15 per person. And that's going to cover the cost of the food. It, it'll be catered. It's going to be really good. And then just some of the stuff, the decorations and things that will go along with it. Thank you. Thanks, Donna. 
Lucas, come on up, man. Um, also, right now, we're going to, I talked to you a little bit about the, the trip that we're planning for Stephen. We're going to take an offer, and we're going to pass the plate. Now, one thing, if you did have any of these index cards that you got some great ideas, you can drop them in the plate. And, uh, but we're going to be taking an offering probably for the next two or three weeks just to raise some funds so that we can send Stephen and Julie off. Um, huh? Well, hopefully not France, but, uh, well, I don't know. Who knows? If God wants him to go to France, he'll end up there. But, uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, we're going we're gonna to be doing that, and uh, hopefully we can, we can send Stephen off in a way that really shows our appreciation uh, for what he's done for us. Now, if you all hang on just a minute, I'm going to go see if I can find Stephen and get him back in here. Um, be right back.